Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And welcome in. It is in the bonus. He is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head on your Thursday morning. Bit of a dreary looking Thursday morning. Not as bright and sunny as it has been this week. And uh, unfortunately, Colin, I did check the weather just before we came in here, and good. I'm seeing more and more rain on the forecast for Saturday night, so could be a uh, a damp home opener in Williams-Brice Stadium for the Gamecocks. Yeah. Um, pack your rain jacket if you are coming to the game Saturday night because per the Weather Channel app, 76% chance of rain during the day, 70% chance at Saturday night. So... And it's going to be about 67 degrees. So Oof. maybe a little bit of a jacket, yeah, maybe a little light bit of jacket. a light jacket. Some, and I don't know if you can bring umbrellas in, but a rain jacket. It's going to be it, wet. Yeah. I uh, Gosh, I haven't broken out a jacket since. There was that weekend in May where it got kind of cool. And I was like, it's it's May. Why am I wearing a jacket right now? I'm in a hoodie right now. Right now. I, I know you're in a hoodie and I, right I now. I love it. The hoodie I, shorts combo is the, is the most undefeated combo in in the game right now. I uh uh we 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 call that the Princess Diana 
Are you familiar with that? Mm -hmm. There's a, a photo of her. I don't know. It's like some famous photo, but she's wearing like a long like sweater and she's got like running shorts on. And somebody that I worked with at a previous radio station always said like that was his go-to combination. Like, cause he, he never wore pants. He always wore shorts. Yeah. So when it's cold outside, he was always, you know, he'd wear like a sweater or a hoodie with shorts. So we always called it the princess Diana. I respect that. So there's always that one guy that's like, right now. like, what do you mean? It's, it's not, not cold. cold. It's not cold out here. Yeah. Like, no, the it's cold. It's like fine. Three inches of snow and he's wearing shorts. Like, yes, bro, I don't know what you're talking about. You have frostbite on your legs like, right now. Bro, I'm like, just wear jeans. <laughs> it's fine. You're an adult. There's always that one kid, though, at like school. Like, my brother was that kid at school. He's like, no, not me. I ain't going to wear pants. I'm good. And then it got to the point where he was in the like, no, it's cold outside. I'm wearing pants. As if everybody's looking like, wow, that guy's wearing shorts. Dang, he must be dude, really like, tough. Yeah. Wow. I'm messing with hey, that guy. I'm messing with that dude. Oh, hey, big shorts. Like, like oh. You're going to fight Kevin? Yeah. Kevin was wearing <laughs> shorts in the snow last week. Uh, let's think about this. Yeah. So who you taking to prom? Well, I was thinking about Todd, but Mark was wearing shorts and so forty-five degree weather. Clearly, the day, he's so. the toughest guy in the whole school, yeah, right? So, really makes you think. Maybe do a double take. Word of advice: take warmth over looking tough. Always, always, always. Practicality over what is that appearance? I think so. Always practicality. Yeah. So on Saturday night, I I don't care if you bought your your brand new polo or, or t shirt. If it's pouring rain, I advise you to put on a like a, a rain jacket. Coat. And then wear maybe a long sleeve shirt and some jeans, just yes. because you're gonna. It's gonna be chillier at night, and yes, it, wear jeans. It's yes, a smart thing to do. So bring but, a pay, bring a pair to change into if it's gonna be hot go. during the day. You never know, right? Yeah, and it could if it's be wet, nice and hot during the tailgate, and uh, you know, then it's that, that rain rolls in. It's it, that it time is. of year in South Carolina. We're in, in that Carolina. weird in between of like, hey, fall could technically happen next week, or it could be a hundred degrees on Halloween, right. or it's like. 65 in the morning and then 84 in the by 11 30 yeah it's like okay hey, well welcome to the south yes very much so uh, of course that game coming up saturday night uh 7 30 uh you can watch it on the sc network but you'll be able to listen to it all right here on uh the game across uh, all of our stations here 1075 the game in columbia 100.3 the game in myrtle beach 100.5 the game out in florence uh we heard from the coordinators yesterday ahead of Saturday's game, talking about a number of things. We'll start off with Dow Loggins, though, talking about, of course, the offensive line being the biggest point of conversation this entire week after their rough performance on Saturday night. But he talked about how, if any way, the offensive line hampered him uh, calling the offense on Saturday night. Look, we're very fortunate because we have number seven. And uh, he's spaghetti sauce. He covered up a lot of issues uh, in that game. And to play the way he did and go 39 or 30 of 39, complete 77% of his passes. And he wasn't Charlie Checkdown either. He averaged 9.1 a completion. Um, but how, how about the fact you don't turn the ball over and you sack nine times? And I, I think we had 18 pass disruptions, which are tip balls, hit quarterbacks, quarterback pressures where he got away. Um, but you can't ask someone to play that way every week without help. And the way you get great quarterback plays, get the other 10 guys to do their job. So we have an eraser at quarterback that played really, really well, as well and gutsy as anyone, any performance I've been a part of. But we got to help him. We got to help him as a coaching staff. We got to help him as an offensive unit. Um, and it, obviously, when you get left handed, and it's like, hey, it's on you, seven. Like, you're going to have to make every decision, every throw. Like, the run game has been taken away. We're not protecting the way we want to protect. Um, and seven and 17 stepped up and played well. And there were a lot of other guys that played well. And uh, 
it definitely limited and uh, changed the dynamics of the offense, but it is what it is, and you got to find a way to, to squeak those things out. We need to finish in the red area. We got down there uh, three times um, <clears throat> and then put ourselves in the, the negative plays hurt us. And that's what happens when you start, when you don't control the line of scrimmage up front, what happens is everything goes on the quarterback and wide outs, which they're good enough to handle that. But then all of a sudden it's like the first, uh, there's a first and 10 on the 11. So one play I would say, hey, Spencer, like throw the ball away. And scrambles to your left normally in, end in injury or turnovers. So throw it away. So it was the first and 10 on the 11, which and he, and he had to scramble. He's pushed to his left, and we ended up taking a sack on. You put yourself behind the chains, and it's just hard to, you know, overcome a fourth, and you're going for it on fourth and 18 and fourth and 22. Um, I mean, the percentages of making those are very low, and you can't put yourself in those situations. And so on top of cleaning up some of the stuff up front, we got to, you know, we got to clean up uh, some other things. I think we had six penalties, and we hurt ourselves. Uh, we missed a block in the red area that Juju had his chance to go one-on-one uh, down there, and we missed a perimeter block, and they hit us and probably probably had five or six more yards. It was going to play a bang-bang play at the goal line, and next play uh, we get a we get a holding call or a sack. I can't remember which what it was, but it's those little things that the pressure starts to mount and it it falls back onto the quarterback, and the the way he played and the way he handled it was unbelievable. Okay, lot to unpack there. Uh, yes. First of all, quintessential football coach referring to him by his number. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's we got big, seven. Like, yeah. Yeah. Number that's, seven. You, you he are, called you Xavier Leggett number seventeen. Yeah. Too. So that that's quintessential uh, football yes. coach. Um, spaghetti sauce. He covers everything. Oh, that's a perfect. I, I never would have thought of that, but I get it. Yep. Oh, I loved that one. I loved the spaghetti sauce because he covered everything. Um, but looking back on Saturday night, of course. You can only do so much when you don't have great blocking up front, and we've talked about it. Spencer Rattler put up pretty solid numbers, and and in, uh, Wes and Chris and I were looking at his um, distribution chart yesterday, thanks to Clark Brooks, SEC StatCat on uh, Twitter, and most of his production was either between the one and ten yard mark, yep. past the line of scrimmage, or behind the line of scrimmage. And again, when you don't have the time to let plays develop and let those guys get farther downfield and go through your progressions, you kind of have to do that. And he made the most of what he had to work with and, again, put up solid numbers doing it. Yeah, no, I I don't think that there was any issue with what you saw from Spencer Rattler, and a lot of it does fall back on how much was the offense hamstrung by the inability to get push in the run game and the inability to protect him. You heard about the the past disruptions when tip balls, pressures that he escapes from. You're talking about 18 of those on 39 attempts. Mm. That's just, it, it's hard to do anything when you're running for your life and you can run screen plays, but when the offensive line isn't protecting up front, are you really going to put them in space to try to go hit a linebacker or a safety or something? And you can talk about the sprint outs and that's great, but then all of a sudden when you're sprinting out, you also have to run past defensive end. Yeah to get them somewhere, and that gives them a straighter line to the quarterback. And if your tackles aren't blocking, it's hard to do that. So they can do some more things, I think, but at some point you are what you are, and there's only so much you can try if if you're not protecting in, in the slightest. And, and, of course, Dow Loggins wasn't going to throw his offensive line under the bus. No coaches, or most coaches aren't going to do that. Some might. Yeah. Uh, Dow Loggins wasn't going to do that. And I'll be interested to know, because, look, nobody expected them to be as bad as they were. No. And everything we heard through camp, yeah, obviously there was areas of concern, but nobody could have predicted they were going to go out there and give up nine sacks over the course of that game. So now that Dow Loggins is aware of 
the inefficiencies on the offensive line? How does he game plan for that? Now having an entire week to mull that over, look at the tape, say, okay, here's where the problems are. How can I work and mold this offense around it to make the most of it? Oh, and that's the thing, too, why everyone's like, we need an exhibition, we need joint practices, because Hmm. you saw South Carolina struggled up front on the defensive side of it. So you hear him all the time, oh, well, it's a give and take. It's If the offense is doing well, it means the defense might not be or vice versa. Yeah, when when the offensive line is doing well in practice, it might mean the defensive line struggles to get off blocks at times, and you saw sure. that against North Carolina. Yeah, I think you're going to see maybe not a complete reinvention of the wheel, but certain things that change and look different, whether it's more sprint out, whether it's personnel changes, because the old adage is you get better week one to week two, and you're seeing, I think you're going to see that for South Carolina, just schematically what that might look like from a you know personnel standpoint and what Dowell Loggins might want to do to get Spencer Rattler moving and get him to a place where he can make plays and not have to worry about running for his life at times. Yeah, I, we talked about it in the offseason that it was, uh, you know, playing a team like North Carolina week number one was a good gauge of yeah. where you're at uh, as opposed to if the schedule is flipped and you're playing firm in a week number one where you may not get that same sense. And again, I, I still hold that same regard because now we know as opposed to, okay, you go through week one and let's say you beat Furman 49 to 10 or something like that and maybe you gave up one sack then you come away from that game feeling pretty good about your offensive line and then you go into North Carolina and have a similar performance to what you did on Saturday night it's like oh no this is really really bad yeah so it's almost kind of good to get that out of the way and now you have this opportunity with Furman to really look at it at a deeper level like okay how much? How are we going to perform against this FCS team, for one? And, again, not disrespect, or disrespecting the Dens, but right. if you go out there and you give up seven sacks in this game, it's like, wow, we are really, really bad up front. If you go out there and give up no sacks, it's like, okay, well, the opponent maybe certainly wasn't at the same level of what we played last week, but at least it's a confidence builder. Right, you saw progress. Like, if you go out there and it's a struggle, I think that tells you a lot. If you go out there and blow them out, that might tell you a lot. So... Yes, South Carolina should win this game, point blank. They are an F- They are an SEC team against an FCS team. You're projected to win. The metrics project you to win. The metrics project you to win by more than a score. But if you struggle, if it's if it's nip and tuck for 40 minutes of a 60-minute game, three quarters of a four-quarter game, that's that can be concerning. You could come out with not having a lot of questions answered. Yeah, absolutely. And, and hopefully we get some form of questions answered on Saturday night. But if nothing else, you just hope these guys can build some confidence because, again, you look at next week, you're playing the defending back-to-back national champions. You're playing a defensive-minded team in, or a defensive-minded head coach team in Mississippi State the next week. And then you have that daunting trip up to Knoxville to close out the month of September. So if nothing else, just have these guys feel a little bit better about what they're doing coming away from Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And that's... Easier said than done, but yeah, you got a, a really tough schedule coming up. How do you adjust? How do you just gain a little bit of proof of concept saying, okay, this works when we do these things right. And if you can get that, then you have a, a good chance of making progress of being competitive against the next three teams on your schedule before that bye week. Defense also had some questions coming away from Saturday. We'll hear from Clayton White and what he had to say yesterday as we get set for Furman on Saturday night. You're listening to In the Bonus. He is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head here on The Game.
in the bonus, in the bonus. with Colin with Taylor, Colin from, Taylor Gamecock from Gamecock Central and Tyler Head, powered by Twin Peaks and Canty Foundation Specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. You know, definitely not a result. Um, and that's the main thing that really that we really care about at the end of the day. But um, I mean, we saw some good things. We saw some things improve. I thought where you know we where we where we hurt us when the second one of those drives we had a 12 play drive and a 13 play drive. We didn't give our offense a chance to 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 get back in rhythm. You know, we stayed on the field too long on defense, and I thought that hurt us. And then I think they scored a touchdown. They scored a field goal on one drive. Actually, one we got to stop. But I think we should have got off the field early to give our offense a better chance to get in rhythm. Just me personally, um, I saw some improvements and some things, but we have some things we got to clean up. Obviously, some some um, some guys were open, some guys were behind guys, a couple running game, uh, running running lanes, and had a big QB scramble and one run to pop out. So we definitely got some room to improve. Welcome back into in the bonus. He is Colin Taylor. I'm sorry, I had forgot to turn my microphone on there, yeah, but that was the best was, that was the voice of uh, Clayton White, defense coordinator for the Gamecocks, talking yesterday to the media about his overall assessment of what he saw Saturday night versus North Carolina. And ideally, coming out of game number one, you'd like to feel about better about one side of the ball as opposed to the other sometimes, or at least say, okay, well, this side of the ball still has some work to do, but at least this side's looking good. And I'd say you definitely feel a little bit better about the defense, but still a lot of questions going into Saturday night against Fremont, particularly when it comes to up front, because again, North Carolina was able to run the ball at will and go back and watching the game again the other day. I mean, they were blowing South Carolina off the line of scrimmage three, four yards every single play. And, you know, you look at the ability for North Carolina to run the ball 168 times and South Carolina not being able to to bring Drake May down at all. It's just, you know, a big area of concern for this team going forward. Yeah, it's a lot of the things that have been issues at South Carolina for the last couple of years. Rush defense, North Carolina ends up averaging, um, if I'm looking at it now, sack adjusted, they averaged, as I'm scrolling through here, 4.3 yards of carry sack adjusted. They average, again, they didn't have sacks, so it was 4.3 period. Um, Drake May was able to break contain and rush four times for 25 yards, including a 16-yarder on, on what I believe was a second and long. I think I'm so. not mistaken. Yeah. And third down, North Carolina was nine for 15 on third and fourth downs. Would have been two for two on fourth down if Blackwell didn't drop the ball. So, South Carolina on third downs in 2021 ranked 11th in the SEC in, with opponents converting over 40% of third downs. Last season, they ranked 12th with opponents converting 43 so it has not been a good third down defense and that just that goes into more than just third down play calling yeah first and second down when you're set up third and short it's a lot easier to convert than third and long and that goes back to running the ball when teams are having a really good success running the ball on first down on second down sets up third and short it doesn't help you at all so I think what's concerning is the same issues that have been there we're there against North Carolina do I think they can be better running Stopping the run, yes, sure. but they really need to get guys up to speed and develop some depth and, and have your dudes play like dudes. Uh, Tonka Hemingway and, and Boogie Huntley weren't 
as disruptive as they needed to be. Your ends weren't as disruptive as they needed to be. And, and it starts there to allow those linebackers who flashed a ton in that game to go out there and mm. clean some stuff up. Yeah, they uh, were averaging giving up 4.3 yards per carry. So if you do the math there, you have a run on first down, run on second down with just that average alone. That means you're setting up in roughly a third down and a yard and a half. Yeah, so, so that doesn't... And most everybody on a team, if you give them two cracks at third and two, fourth and two, probably going to get it. Well, and, and North Carolina was a team that was very good on fourth down a season ago and... Mm-hmm. You know, we we know they were very aggressive with that. Did it a couple times on uh, on Saturday night as well. So um, yeah, just one another one of the areas of concern for South Carolina. I mean, you feel decent about what your defensive backs were able to do. And and again, Drake May. I think a lot of people expect him to come in this game and sling it for 450 yards and and four touchdowns. And you kept him in check for the most part. But again, when the running game was as good as as North Carolina had going, he didn't necessarily need to go out there and have to be a superstar. And you were able to get two interceptions off of him. So if there's any area of your defense you feel decently good about, it is the defensive secondary. Yeah, and it's they still hit seven explosive pass plays of at least 15 yards, really at least 16 yards. So that needs to get cleaned up a little bit. But yeah, I think the secondary, when you pick them off twice, uh, North Carolina did have some drops mm-hmm. in there, which certainly helped out a ton. You need to shore up the communication side of it. When you project ahead, you don't know how long Nick even worries out, but if he's out, then you have true freshman, true sophomore at safety, two experienced guys at corner, but your nickel is going to either be a red shirt, two red shirt freshmen are your leading candidates there with the true freshman as your, um, back up there so at corner in Emory Floyd so you're gonna have a ton of youth in that secondary even with Nicky Minwari coming back because he's a true sophomore communication needs to be better because there were a lot of free runners the coverage busts that led to big plays so if you can shore that up I think you have the talent to, to cover guys it's just a matter of the when you have to switch and do different things and match coverage you have to really 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 figure that out and again, going back to looking at Saturday night, taking on a Furman team, when you talk about those young guys in the secondary, this can be a big weekend for just getting their confidence up and, yeah. and having the ability to go out there and hopefully, you know, have the talent that they have to, uh, to be able to outplay uh, their opposition on Saturday night and give them as much confidence as they can getting set to go on the road to Georgia next week, not to mention the handful of other game or tough games that are coming after that. So, so a big weekend for possibly building some of that confidence and momentum uh, coming up Saturday you just have to see it freshmen young guys especially because Kawan Banks hasn't played a ton Keenan Nelson hasn't mm-hmm. played a ton uh Emory Floyd really hasn't played period J- uh, Jalen Kilgore has played 60 snaps at the college level they just need to see the ball go in the hoop to use another analogy like they just need to see okay like the stuff they're teaching me works if I do these things whether it's against Furman not disrespecting the Dens whether it's against Georgia, whether it's against Tennessee, Mississippi State, whoever, you're, you would see proof of concept. And that's the biggest thing with young players. They just need to see proof of concept. Right. Uh, you know who's not disrespecting the Dens? Who's that? Pete Limbo. Dang Skippy. Pete Limbo has a lot of experience coaching at the FCS level. Was it Elon? Was it Lehigh? Uh, very familiar with the Furman program itself. And, and yesterday... He was in speaking to the media. 
he re- went really into depth about, in his opinion, the differences between players at the FCS level and players at the FBS level. We'll let you hear what he had to say, as well as talk about some of the, of the usual quirks that Pete Limbo always has in his press conferences. That's coming up. You're listening to In the Bonus. He is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler. <laughs> What you're talking about. Sponsored by Love Chevrolet. On your home of the Gamecocks. In Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach. And 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in in the bonus. Colin Taylor, Tyler Head along with you. This morning, a quick reminder, coming up later this afternoon, the afternoon show from 3 until 6, Jay and Terry going to be broadcasting live at a Carolina Honda Powerhouse on Bucker Road. Get ready for Gamecock Saturday, your last chance to register for the EU 2200i generator, valued at over $1,300. Carolina Honda Powerhouse is your source for Honda ATVs, motorcycles, scooters, and side-by-sides. You can visit them, exit 70 off of I-20, or visit carolinahonda.com. Um, uh, you were just telling me in the break there, Saturday night, officially sold out at williams Bryce Stadium. <clears throat> Very cool. Uh, yeah, um... We we don't have any any insight into what exactly that's going to look like, but I'm sure it'll stay mostly close to tradition with a few few maybe new quirks added in there. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Mm. I'm excited to experience all this for the first time. I've never seen it. In person, I've only seen it on TV. I've never been to Willie B or inside Willie B, at least. Yeah, only the one. I've only been to Sanford. I've only been to Sanford. Yeah, I I, w- I would love to visit all the stadiums in the SEC at some point, and now you're adding two more with. Texas and Oklahoma coming in next year. Like that's a that's a goal of mine. Um, but yeah, Willie B will only be number two for me. You've been to you've been to most of them. <laughs> oh, it would not at all. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mhm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um I mean that's not a that's not a hard list to accomplish when especially with the new scheduling format coming in where you know it's going to be a little bit more of a mix and match like very likely chance well we know obviously Texas or Oklahoma is going to appear on the schedule kind of I think I think they're going to Oklahoma next year, and then I imagine you probably get Texas the next year, more likely than not, probably. Um, <clears throat> I 
just the just the energy of the stadium. Um, now, again, when you're playing a team like Furman, maybe that's a little bit more diluted as opposed to like when Florida comes to town a little bit later on in the season. So maybe I'll get a better sense of it then. But just like, I don't know, the, the energy of a stadium, because that's what the mark of like SEC stadiums are. Like, yeah, you can go to a sold-out football game at, you know, Utah or Ohio State or something like that, but there's something about the energy inside of an SEC stadium that's just different. Yeah. Oh, definitely not. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. No, not at all. And by the way, uh, Jay or Terry and myself would be doing Gamecocks game day from sound and images just outside of the stadium from uh, 2.30 to 4.30 on Saturday afternoon. Certainly come by and, and say hi to us while you're tailgating and, and getting ready for the game. And uh, then, yeah, 7.30 kickoff uh, against Furman on Saturday night. Now, of course, as we've talked about, Furman is an FCS team, and that is is an easy thing to overlook. Um, but as we've seen through the history of college football, especially in these past 20 or so years, FCS teams have the ability to play very competitively and sometimes pull the upset. And one guy that can speak to that very well is obviously Pete Limbo. Spent time coaching at Elon, has been at Lehigh, spent a lot of his career as a head coach at the FCS level. And yesterday, speaking to the media, he gave a little bit more insight on his differences between FCS players and FBS players. Yeah, I would say this. Uh, you know, veteran players are veteran players. Battle-tested players are battle-tested players. And, and those really good teams that I had at the FCS level or that I was an assistant coach on were veteran teams when guys were in a program for three or four years and understood the culture and understood the system. And that's exactly what they have at Furman. They have had incredible continuity there. And you look at this team now uh, with the grad students that they have and the fifth-year seniors that they have and the fourth-year juniors that you have, that's how you win football games at any level is by having veteran guys who have been in the system that are battle-tested because there's no surprises when, you, when you're a player like that. And, and uh, at any level, you know, the, the really good teams that we had at Ball State were the same way. They had veteran guys, you know, redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors, and as soon as you – flip that and all of a sudden you're playing some young guys they might be four-star recruits but it's still big for them when they get into a college football game and all the different variables that are going on so these guys um are are you know they're like a very highly disciplined army um, they know the chain of command they know what to do they know how to act they know how to react and and so they're going to come in here and they're not going to be bright-eyed uh, because of a, being in a big stadium and a loud environment. They're just going to do what they do. And uh, if, they, if they do it well, they'll have a chance to win. And if they don't do it well enough, they'll just go back to work the next week and get ready for the next guy and not blink because that's how they've been trained. Uh, not the least bit surprised that Pete Limbo managed to work in a uh, war reference there. Um, also talked about trickle-down economics at one point as well. Yeah, I heard, that was the last question he was asked. Um, I, I didn't figure I needed to, to pull that sound necessarily, but 
Yes, uh, a classic Pete Limbo press conference. Not any, I didn't catch any 80s movies references. So I was a little disappointed on that. Yeah, he he was down a little bit. Um, <clears throat> absolutely, but he, he brings up good points there because, yes, experience is experience in college football no matter what level you're playing at. And you look at this Furman team, they returned 18 starters from a year ago. Their quarterback, Tyler Huff, is a graduate student, been playing college football for a long time, was a Presbyterian before transferring over to Furman. So a lot of experience on this team. Very good at takeaways a season ago, led the FCS with 29, got, I believe, six the other day against Tennessee Tech. So this is a team that's, including a pick six, that started off the the game there. So this is a team that is playing really well, one of the better teams in the FCS. Top 10, went to the playoffs last year, 10-win season. So, again, no, not a schlub team by any means. And uh, like, like Pete Limbo said, experience is experience at the end of the day. In the bonus with Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central and Tyler Head. Powered by Twin Peaks and Candy Foundation Specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in. In the bonus, Colin Taylor, Tyler Head, along with you. Coming up tonight, 6 o'clock, Carolina calls with Coach Beamer. Last chance to hear from him ahead of Saturday night's game against Firm and get his final thoughts ahead of that matchup. Uh, one thing he's not going to be able to talk about is uh, recruits coming into town this weekend because, of course, and it's 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 so silly to me that we have these rules that, like, coaches, we, we all know they're aware. We all know who they're talking about, but the fact that they cannot say the name of a recruit until they actually sign with the school has always been so silly to me. (laughs) Right. It's like, it's like Nick Harbor, right? Yeah. It's like, we're, we're aware of who you mean. Do we know what the penalty is? It's kind of one of those things like it. Well, remember uh, back in the spring, we talked about the celebration rule that had changed. And it's like, well, you can't have props outside of the duck out. And it's like, what happens if you do is did the NCAA said like, we're going to, we're going to take your wins away or, you know, we're going to penalize you with four outs or something like that. Like, no, it's just like, hey, don't do it. It's like, well, what if I do? Yeah, what, 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 what if, what if a coach does say the name of a recruit? Like, hey, I was up in Michigan the other day visiting with so and so. It's like <gasps> he said it. Now, now what? Charlie Baker comes out of the uh, dark and just smacks you with a frying pan. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's vague threats, I guess. Uh, that being said, there's going to be uh, some recruits in town this weekend, including a five-star. Uh, head on over to GamecockCentral.com for more details on that. But, you know, you look at the Furman game, and it's like, okay, I get it from the standpoint of, yeah, it's a game that you 
hopefully you're going to win by a large margin. Is that a better sell to a highly touted recruit, though? I've always find it interesting a coach's prerogative to bring guys in. Yeah. And a lot of it deals with scheduling. Mm-hmm. Like if, you know, Nicholas Harbor came in for the Georgia game last year because he had visits set up one other weekends and you're just trying to get him in for a game. Sure. But it's really interesting to see when coaches decide to have their big recruiting weekends in season, at least. Because there's a balance where, okay, let's say you host somebody for the Georgia game last year and that was a game that was fairly one-sided and, and, and Georgia yes. put it to them. And you can certainly sell it from the standpoint of, hey, I know that wasn't good, but hey, if you were on this team, we'd be X, Y, and Z better. But at the same point in time, you also want to make a good impression on them while they're here with the product you see on the field. Because especially for like these highly touted recruits, you're like, hey, you know, my objective is to go to the NFL more likely than not. Like if I'm here, how much can that potentially set me back? Right. And the thing too is like you might bring in guys for like a big at like when you know it's going to be a sellout like a true sellout when you know it's going to be just this elite atmosphere and then even if you lose you can say listen we if even if we lost that was us when we got killed 48 to 7 by georgia that's a good point think about what that's going to be like when we're good yeah and how raucous that's going to be and that's something that is really going is really interesting that i think you can sell some guys buy into that and it's maybe for this five stars you bring him in for Furman he gets to see the the crowd at night and go this is for Furman right like this is for an FCS opponent think about what it's like for Georgia think about when we're playing for SEC championships and you sell them on that and a lot of guys can buy into that and and see why it's it's exciting to play at a place like South Carolina and and the the word sell is the absolute right word there because you're literally selling your program to this kid like hey Come spend your next, hopefully, four years here, right. and here's why. Right. And, and, like, you have to literally be a salesman to these kids. Yeah, and it's a salesman, and it's a lot of bells and whistles, more so in the high school recruiting than in portal recruiting nowadays. Hmm. They they see that stuff. They they want to see the the sell, the pitch, the atmosphere, the, the bells and whistles in recruiting, the photo shoots, the this, the that, and the other. And when you can do that and it's a great atmosphere or and it's, you know, you build a good relationship with the guy, you know, Nick Harbour building a good relationship with the coaching staff, Desmond Umezulu, all of those guys, that goes a long way. But a great atmosphere, a great time on campus, being around other guys who are on the team, I think that goes a long way too. And no, again, not disrespecting Furman, but like there's probably a little bit more downtime sure. too. And at night, you get a lot more time with him during the day than you would when it's just a, hey, show up at 10, get your credential for the game, come in, watch the game, and then drive home. There's right. a little bit more time. If they get there at noon, you have all day to spend with them instead of just randomly, you know, here's 45 minutes after the game before they have to go home. Sure. So, yeah, obviously going to be a big weekend from just standpoint of being home for the first time this season. Yep. First time since the Tennessee game, which, which is, is crazy to think about. Just wild to me. That since then you've gone to Clemson, you've played Notre Dame in the bowl game, and now you've gone to Charlotte to face North Carolina. Like, talk about being here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, it's a lot. It's There's so many, <laughs> so many games, so many things that have happened with Dowell Loggins and um, 
just bringing in new staff members and spring practice, and it's it's going to be nice to wake up and drive 20 minutes to the stadium instead of having to wait and drive somewhere else for it. It's going to be nice. Absolutely. We're excited for that. Uh, tomorrow's Football Friday. We'll give final thoughts ahead of uh, Saturday night's game. But, Colin, you're not going far because it's you and I for three more hours again today. I'm excited. I have a couple games that we're going to play. Yes, I'm very um, excited for these. A couple games. Uh, hmm. I think we're going to do our picks Yes. Today, that way we don't have to do them tomorrow. We can focus on the game. I'm ready tomorrow. to go for the picks today. I have a few that I'm deciding between before we do that. Okay. I'm inputting the last couple breaks. I've been inputting some of our staff picks over the course of okay. this. So um, some interesting games to to sift through over the course of the next few hours. All right, halftime sure. Garnet Trust, Trust Hour coming up next with Riley Whitesides from Gamecock Volleyball here on the game. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-4247. Support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.